0: Today's reading comes from Revelation 21, verses 22 through 26. And it can be found on page 1041 in the Pew Bibles. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it. Oh no, sorry. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. word of the Lord.
1: Okay, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Happy Missions uh, Month. And uh, as we get going, I've got a a little family chat. This is like a mini family chat because I don't have a stool up here. But uh, a couple things I want to say, three things I want to say before we get into our sermon this morning. First, uh, as has been acknowledged and uh, as I've just said, this is uh, the beginning of our Missions Month focus, and so it's great to have our missionaries here uh, with with us in the service, so thank you, uh, welcome for being here, uh, missionaries. And the theme of this uh, year's Mission Month focus is Light to the Nations, which is going to be the focus of our text uh, that I'll be preaching from in just a moment. So it'll be a three-week theme. If you've been part of Calvary, you kind of know the the routine, but um, I'm preaching this week, and then we have our Wednesday uh, missions-focused dinner, uh, followed by a night of worship uh, and prayer here in the sanctuary. I encourage you to be part of that. Connect with the missionaries uh, here this morning if you have an opportunity. They have the name tags on, so you can identify them. Introduce yourself. Thank you. Thank them for their service. But uh, and then next week, uh, Pastor Alan Madam Morris uh, will be preaching, and Alan is uh, has. He's become a very dear friend. He's the connection. When we do our overseas trips uh, in the Middle East, he's, uh, he's our connection. And uh, he was introduced to us by Pastor Manfred. Uh, Pastor Allen is a Costa Rican national uh, who is living in Spain and ministers in the Middle East. So we'll learn more about him next week, but he's been with us before. And then Pastor Manfred will bring the final sermon uh, for our third uh, Sunday of mission month. And um, so looking forward uh, to that. And our theme this year, missions uh, for this month, missions focus, light to the nations, is setting up Advent. So our Advent theme is gonna be the light has come. So we're preparing uh, even now, as it were, for Advent. And Advent in many ways is gonna be a sort of application for a uh, missions month focus. So we're gonna have a particular outreach focus uh, during Advent. You'll hear more about that as we move through Missions Month. But um, Advent is going to be focused then on Missions Month. But I just want to commend uh, Pastor Manfred for all the work that he has done in pulling together all the details related to Missions Month. It's not just the Sunday morning, but there's also a lot of behind-the-scenes care that is going on with our missionaries. I just want to thank, uh, thank him. And it's not just also Missions week or missions month but pastor manfred is doing work all throughout the year to connect us to different ministry and mission opportunities in the city and that leads to our uh, to the second thing i want to say is uh, to welcome our venezuelan guests and that uh, connection happened largely through pastor manfred's initiative and his relationships and connections that he's had with other churches in the city so if you saw my email go out earlier this week you know that Uh, We have six families that are living here at Calvary that we're providing uh, housing for and working to provide uh, help them identify permanent housing and also permanent jobs. And so uh, really grateful for Pastor Manfred's help in leading us into that. If you have uh, an interest in partnering uh, with the work that we're doing and being a blessing and extending the love of Christ to these families... Uh, in that email that I sent out, which explains a little bit more of the details, there's also a link that you can clip, click on, and it'll take you to a form that you can fill out where you can express your uh, desire to help and different uh, gifts that you might have that would be a blessing. If you're a Spanish speaker in particular, uh, just would encourage you to be hospitable however the Lord leads. Uh, our guests don't speak English uh, much or at all, and so if you're a Spanish speaker, you can especially help us extend... Uh, the love of Christ to them. So uh, follow as the Lord leads in that. And then I want to also talk uh, quickly about uh, the preaching schedule over the next six months or so. So this morning uh, we're hitting a pause button on our Second Corinthians sermon series and focusing on uh, Missions Month here through November. And then following Missions Month begins Advent. So that'll take us through, obviously, through Christmas and the end of the year. And then we're going to have a sermon series still yet to be determined, uh, working on the details of that, that'll take us through Epiphany and up to Lent, and then we'll have a Lenten series as we've done in years past, and that'll take us to Holy Week, and then we'll have our Holy Week focus. And then we will return to finish Second Corinthians uh, in the spring and summer of next year. So we're at a bit of a cliffhanger, I recognize that, it's Paul against the super apostles as we're coming to the climax of the letter. Who will win? I don't know. You'll have to stay tuned. Come back. Don't leave until the spring, and you will find out uh, how that all works out. But that's the preaching uh, plan for over the next uh, number of months. But in any case, today our theme uh, begins for this year's missions month, Light to the Nations and picking up the theme of light which is very common throughout the bible and which is frequently used in scripture as a metaphor for god's presence and his saving activity and the story of the bible is the story of the world created in darkness and then ends in light so you go back to the very beginning in genesis chapters 1 and 2 uh, or sorry genesis 1 uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God makes the heavens and the earth, but in the beginning, the earth is formless and void, and darkness is over the face of the deep. It's a world of darkness, but when we get to the end of the story, which we've just read for us here in Revelation 21, we get to the end of the story, the world is bathed in endless light. And uh, as we begin Missions Month this year, we're starting really then at the end of the story... In Revelation 21, with the Apostle John's vision of the holy city and its eternal day. Now, we're in the book of Revelation for this vision, and the book of Revelation is admittedly a complex book. If you've ever tried to read it, and you all should try to read it, if you've ever read it, you know that it's filled with smoke and with fire and with dragons and angels and plagues and bottomless abysses and beasts and locusts that have tails that can scroll sting like scorpions. So honestly, it can be pretty hard to figure out. But everyone generally agrees that the beginning chapters of Revelation and the last couple chapters of Revelation are the easiest parts to understand. So mercifully, we are on the last couple chapters here of Revelation, and I think we can get our heads around it. However one interprets the book of Revelation, then uh, this is giving us this vision of the final consummation of God's redemptive work. So in Revelation 21 and 22... The, the, uh, the Apostle John is giving us this vision, and my aim is to help us see what our part is that we can play uh, in the realization of this vision. So the title for today's sermon comes from verse 24, where John says, By its light the nations will the nations walk. And as we explore this passage, I want us to think carefully about that word, it's. By its light, the nations will walk. Who's the it by whose light the nations will walk? And then what does that have to do with you and me? So I'm going to focus on five key observations or details of this passage on our way to trying to answer that question. And then we'll answer that question, identify the its, and then we'll turn and conclude with three points of application and then into our uh, table this morning. All right, so the first observation that we can gain uh, from this text, here's the first. The city is the church. So looking at our text in verse 22, John introduces us to a city. He's going to say many things about this city, but it's helpful for us to understand what is this city. At the beginning of chapter 21, you can just kind of look over a little bit in your, uh, your text there, in 21 verse 2... John introduces this city for the first time. He sees the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, he says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city is the bride of Christ. The holy city is the church. This language of the bride of Christ is used frequently throughout the Gospels, uh, the Apostle Paul uses it frequently, and John is using it here as well as a reference to the church. So the city is the great this this vision of the city is the great archetypal fulfillment of earthly marriage. So this is what earthly marriage has been pointing to all along: the union of heaven and earth, the union of God and His people, the union of Christ and the church. So the first observation. The city is the church. Second, the city has no temple. So you look here in verse 22, John tells us that there is no temple in the city, for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Well, throughout the Old Testament, the temple was famously known as the dwelling place of God on earth. and God could be present in the world outside of his temple temple and many times he is throughout scripture but the temple was uniquely marked as the location of God's presence on earth and John is here telling us that in the age to come in the eternal city there will no longer be a temple that marks the unique location of God on earth God himself and the lamb will be the temple of the city Now, we'll see why there's no temple and what that means in just a moment. But it's important to note here that the city is the church, and this church, this city, has no temple. A third thing to note about this city is that the city has no need of the sun. Let's look at verse 23. John tells us that the holy city will have no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it For the glory of God will give it light. Now, two quick things we could say about God's glory. The term glory, when it's used throughout the Bible with reference to God, it's always identical with God's presence. Glory and presence go together. So in Exodus 24, when the Lord descends upon Mount Sinai, The scriptures say that the glory of the Lord descended onto Mount Sinai. Or in Exodus 33, when Moses asks to see God, God grants this request and then shows Moses, Exodus tells us, his glory. Or in Exodus 40, when God takes up residency in the tabernacle, or later, 1 Kings chapter 8, when God takes up residency in the tabernacle, in the more permanent temple. The scriptures say in both cases that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and the temple. So when John says that the city is full of the Lord's glory or God's glory, he's saying that the city is full of God's presence. a right, second thing to be said about glory is that the glory of God is frequently described throughout the Bible as or experienced by people as light. In fact, the Bible's word for glory contains this idea of light. It conveys the idea of splendor or shining. So in Luke 2, verse 9, when the shepherds are out in the field tending their flocks at night, on that first Christmas night, Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord shone about them because glory shines. Or when Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain with Jesus and he was transfigured before them so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light, Luke describes Jesus' brightness as Jesus' glory. And there are countless other examples of how God's glory is connected to the idea of light. A helpful analogy that the early church fathers used frequently which brings together the idea of presence and light, is to think of the relationship between God and His glory like we think of the relationship between the sun and the sky and its rays. Just as the sun's rays are the inevitable manifestation of the sun, which revealed the sun's presence and the sun's light, so too God's glory is the inevitable manifestation Of God which reveals God's presence and God's light and that's what we're seeing here in Revelation 21 the glory of God is the presence of God is the light of the city and the city has become so full of the glorious presence of God that the city no longer needs the Sun so the city is the church it has no temple it has no need of the Sun And fourth, the city's lamp is the Lamb. This connects back to why the city has no temple and why it doesn't need the sun. Look at the end of verse 23. Uh, John writes, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. John is telling us that the glory of God's presence doesn't just enlighten the city, in some sort of ephemeral, unfocused way, as though the air was just really bright, covering the whole earth. The lamp is the, lamb is the lamp from which shines the glory of God's presence. So light always needs some light source. Light needs a lamp out of which to shine. So we bask in the light of the sun, but this light that we bask in comes ultimately from the sun The sun is the lamp of our solar system. And in the eternal city, the light source that lights the city is the lamp of God. It is the Lamb of God. The Lamb, of course, is Jesus from whose face shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And this explains why there is no temple in the city and why it's always day. John is telling us... That the presence of God on earth, which used to be manifested in the earthly temple, will reach its full manifestation through the Lamb, who is the Lamp of God. And this full manifestation of God's presence through the Lamb will fill the world with glory so resplendent that the world will no longer need the sun. All right, so no city in the church, or sorry, the church is the city, no earthly temple, no need of the sun. The city will be illumined by the lamp of the Lamb. And then fifth, and this connects here now to our missions theme, is the city is the home of the nations. In verse 24, John says, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. All right, Now, the connection here to missions is obvious because we were introduced to the idea of the light going out to the nations. The light of God's glorious presence... Which shines out through the Lamb, who is the lamp of God's glory, enlightens the whole earth, so that the nations of the earth can walk by the light of God. And this is the same basic vision that John gives us back in Revelation chapter 5, towards the beginning of the book of Revelation. He writes of the Lamb, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So John is seeing that the salvation that Christ is bringing to the earth is going to extend out into the entire nations, all the nations of the world. And this worldwide enlightening, this nation-saving future that John sees consummated now in Revelation 21 has been God's intent all along. And it's been woven all throughout the story of the Bible. So in uh, Genesis chapter 12, with the calling of Abraham, where the story really begins in earnest, God calls Abraham and says, through Abraham, a blessing, the blessing of God will go out into all the nations and that same blessing to the nations drumbeat then continues throughout the whole of the bible so the prophet isaiah writing some 600 years before jesus foresaw a day when the nations would see the light of god's glory and isaiah writes the lord has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the jordan he's referring to beyond the jordan is outside of israel Galilee of the nations, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So Isaiah is making this same connection between glory and great light and the nations that we're seeing here in Revelation 21. So John is seeing the fruition and the climax of the entire biblical narrative, the redemption Of the whole world. The glory of God's presence is shining out through the lamp of the Lamb, such that the city has no night. It's an eternal day. And the nations that God has been drawing to himself and has set his heart to chase after and to draw into himself have finally come home. And they are bringing their glory and their wealth into the city. They're arriving into the city. So the city is the church. There's no earthly temple. There's no need of the sun. It's illumined by the lamp of the Lamb, and the city at last becomes the home of the nations of the world. All right, now we've worked through all of that so we could get to our question about the second word of verse 24, the its. Who is the it of verse 24? The nations will walk by its light. Now, on a quick read you might be inclined to think that the word its refers to the Lamb who is the lamp of the city. And to be honest, as I was reading through it this week and preparing to preach from this passage, as my initial quick reading, was to think that. And it's as I began to study it more and then just looking at the grammar, it's right there in the text, I realized that wasn't actually the case. Now, it's not wrong in one sense to think that the light that the nations walk by is the lamb who is the lamp of the city. That's true in an ultimate sense, but that's not actually what the text says. The light that the nations walk by is not the light of God's glory shining out of the lamb, but the light of God's glory shining out of the city. The pronoun it's in Greek is in the feminine gender. So if you know anything about taken any language studies know that many languages have masculine, uh, feminine, and neuter pronouns or verbs or uh, uh, nouns. And so different words can take different genders. And so in Greek, the word its is in the feminine gender and it refers back to the word city, which is also feminine. Now the words lamp and lamb are masculine and neuter respectively. So they are struck out as options, right? So the light that the nations are walking by is not the light of the Lamb, but the light of the city. Of course, the light of the city is the light of the Lamb. But the light that enlightens the nations is not the light of the Lamb directly, but the light of the Lamb that shines out of the city. So the Lamb enlightens the city, and the city enlightens the nations. And what that means is that the church is not simply a recipient of God's light, but an extender of God's light. Or we might even say, if the lamb is the light of the city, the city is the light of the world. And if we did say that, we would be justified in saying that because Jesus said that. So Matthew 5, 14 and 16, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And then he goes on to say, speaking of a great city, this city, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a light, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the lamb is the lamp of the city, and the city is the lamp of the world. So who's the it in verse 24? You and I, as followers of Jesus, the people of God, and members in his church are the it of verse 24. All right, so what does that mean for us then? Three points of application. The first is to remember your identity as the light of the world. God has shown his light into our hearts to make us lights to others. We don't just simply testify about the light while we remain in darkness. We actually become the light of the world so that as we testify about the light of the world. The thing that we are testifying is actually part of who we have become. We are living out the very gospel that we are proclaiming. The light metaphor helps us remember that salvation is not merely something that we receive, but it's also something that we pass on to others. God's glorious light shines out through Jesus into the eternal city, which in turn shines out into the world so that the nations can walk in the light of God's glorious presence. And this is the golden chain of discipleship that we've been talking about all throughout 2 Corinthians. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. And everything that we have to give to others comes ultimately from God. And God has given to us so that we can pass it on to others so that the whole world can experience the wonder of his glory and his love. But it's not just in Second Corinthians where we find the golden chain of discipleship. This is the fundamental way that the whole Bible talks about and frames up God's work of salvation. It's in the Lord's Prayer that we pray often. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You have given us such forgiveness, Father. Help us to extend that forgiveness on to others. It's in how we think about money, as Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8-9, and that God blesses us with material wealth. He has given us all that we possess so that we can pass that blessing on to others so that they can live in the joy of material blessings that come through thanksgiving with God. It's how we think about love. Paul talks in Romans chapter 5 about how God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And having that love being poured out into our hearts, we then can pour that love out, which is God's love, into the hearts of others. We've been granted a share in God's salvations so that we can become conduits of that same salvation to others. So remember your identity as a conduit, as a lamp, as a light of God's redemption and love. We're never going to find joy or peace, or purpose in our lives if we fundamentally think that our lives are about us. We are not the end of ourselves. It's in receiving and sharing Jesus' love, his light, that we realize our true destiny. So as we embark on another season of focusing about mission and missions month as a church, I invite us to ask ourselves, who do you think that you are? How do you conceive of yourself? Do you think of yourself as a light to the world, a lamp that shines forth the love of God? That leads to the second point of application let your light shine. Right? So you are a light, so let your light shine. Jesus says that it would be foolish to light a lamp and then put it under. A bushel. Oh no. Thank you. All my all my church friends, they got that there. And I think he has to say this because this is what we are sometimes tempted to do. When we first came to Christ, particularly if we came to Christ maybe more as like a teen or older, you know, we're more of a kind of a conscious memory when life had gotten hard. It was we came to Christ because we had grown weary of living in the darkness and bumping around into things and always stubbing our toes and smacking our shins and knocking things over and hurting ourselves. And we got tired of that to the point that we welcomed the light of God into our lives. But we're nervous to be a light to others, and I think sometimes that we're nervous to hide our light after we become a Christian for the same reason we hid from the light before we became a Christian. Because we don't want to deal with what will become visible in the light. One of the profound things about the Bible's metaphor of light is that light always reveals. That's its job. It's what it does. right? It makes visible what can't be seen in the darkness. So there's an inevitable confrontation that occurs Whenever you bring light into a dark room, the cracks and the grime, all that's wrong with the room become visible, and the people in the room who are doing awkward or embarrassing or wrong things are suddenly exposed when you snap on the light. And it's not only awkward for them, it's awkward for us too. So I suspect that many of us are tempted to To hide our light, because we just generally like to avoid confrontations. Now listen, God doesn't just assault us with his light. The scriptures say that God's glorious light, unrestrained, is like a consuming fire. When Moses was up on the mount, and he asked God to show God his glory, God said, if I showed you my glory, you'd be destroyed. I can't show you my full glory. It's too much. So he hid Moses in the cleft of a rock, and then God passed by, covered Moses' face so that Moses wouldn't be consumed. I mean, Moses had to look at the back of God. God's glory, his light, is so powerful, it would just consume us. And if he unveiled it on us fully, if he just snapped the switch on in the room, we would be overwhelmed. But he is gracious and he is gentle in the way that he brings his light into our lives. He uses the dimmer switch, we might say. And we should all be thankful that he does. And we should be gracious and gentle as well in the way that we interact with those who need to have the light of God brought to bear in their lives. So we don't need to assault people with our light. But it's no kindness to hide our light. And to let others stumble about in the darkness, however much they might prefer to do so, and however much we might prefer to let them do so. God has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ so that we can receive that light and then shine that light to others. So let your light shine in love, as God directs, but let your light shine so that others might see your good deeds And turn towards our Father in heaven and become recipients of His light. And then finally, close with this last point. Remember that your light, your light is most truly God's light. The light that shines out of the lamp of the Lamb, that shines out of the eternal city into the world, is God's own light. The divine light does not originate with us. As human beings. But this divine light has been shining in the triune relationships of the Father and the Son and the Spirit for all of eternity, for an eternity before you and I ever existed. And we, as mere creatures, remarkably, against all hope, have been given a share in this light. But the light that we shine is always God's light, it always originates from Him. It's never our own. It's just like love. God is love. In fact, John says in 1 John two things about God. He says, God is love. He says, God is light. And God as love means that when we love someone else, we're always loving with borrowed love. We don't have love on our own. But God in His grace and kindness has poured His love out into the world so that we have something that we can love others with. But it's no credit to us when we love others because the love doesn't generate from ourselves. And when we shine the light of God out into the world, our light out into the world, that's no credit to us because we have no light in ourselves. But we get all love and light from God. And this should keep us humble. And it should point others, not to us, but it should point others ultimately to God. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 5:16 that when we shine our light before others, the goal of that is not that they would see our light and glorify us, but that they would see our light and glorify our Father in heaven. Because our light is most fundamentally God's light. So don't shine your light to bring glory to yourself. Shine your light to bring glory to God. Turn now to the table here. And John, who wrote the book of Revelation, also wrote a number of epistles. And in 1 John chapter 1, John connects the theme of light to the forgiveness of sins. And so we're going to See how as we receive the forgiveness of sins, we're receiving, as it were, the light of God. Let me close this in prayer, and then we will turn our attention to the table. Father, thank you that you have given us Christ, who is the light of the world. When we were walking around in darkness and trying to make sense of things, and we couldn't figure things out, and kept bumping into things and hurting ourselves and hurting other people, you have given us a light that we can walk by. And God, we're so grateful for that. And uh, we thank you for it. And God, we thank you uh, that you have given us uh, not just a capacity to receive light, but you have given us a capacity to shine light. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us uh, to walk in the light that you have shown into our hearts through the face of Jesus Christ and that others would see in us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And they would be drawn to that same light so that they could experience the joy and the love and the peace that comes from living in relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.